details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of desert Urbania, this is Michael Groth in Exile. Welcome in, yes, another edition, Michael Graff in exile, underway, it's Tuesday, May 18th, 2010. Of course it's, uh, of course it's Tuesday, May 18th, I, I voted today, I even have a, a sticker. It was an election day, well, not really an election, we just had to vote on another referendum, another tax increase. More on that in just a second. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff. Show the screen name. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F. Show on AOL Instant Messenger. By the way, Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address. Should you really love this program and you want to see it continue to exist and thrive on your most generous contributions, then certainly do not hesitate to... As I shamelessly plug, send money. All right. And just as a brief aside, I realize this is really just a self-serving rant, and I'm fairly confident that none of you will appreciate this, but I just have to mention, here in the city of Phoenix, do you think that maybe we could have our polling places for elections in the same spot two times in a row. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? I know that uh, voter turnout sometimes is abysmal. I know it's hard to get people to show up at the polls. Maybe one of the reasons is that the polling places move every single time. Now, generally, it hasn't been a big deal because the polling places, like one time it was at a funeral home, which was like the same funeral home where we, we had my dad, and then... There was another time it was like at a church, which is like a block away from my house. So it wasn't that big a deal. But then they decided to have uh, a couple of the polling places. Like today, it was way up five miles away from my house. It was in another, it was in Paradise Valley. I'm in Phoenix. 
and I'm voting at my my nearest precinct is in Paradise Valley. It just didn't make any sense. If you don't know the geography of Phoenix, that doesn't really make sense to you. But I, I just I just had to throw that out there. It was just ridiculous. And it was we were only voting on one thing today anyway. It was just a uh, another tax increase for education, Prop 100, where. Uh, it just just a disaster. Uh, uh, yeah, in this economy, I'm I'm certainly going to be more than willing to vote for a tax increase, especially for education, which uh, already ranks near the bottom in this state. We're losing our uh, our uh, state superintendent Tom Horn. He's running for attorney general. So uh, I, I just. We've already increased taxes across the board for education several times in the state. Just it, it never works out. So why why should we do it again and expect a different result? It's Einstein's definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Anyway, enough of the local politics. Let me just uh, address this. We have a lot to get into on the show. Uh, just a. a Man, so many things. Obviously, we're going to cover that. I've got to get to the pop chart, the top 10 songs in the world of pop. We're going to do that. But as you know, we lead it off like this. There's a lot that happens in the news. There's a lot of things that people consider news. Fox News has their own definition of news. CNN has their definition. MSNBC, the AP. Really, all that matters is what I think is news. Everyone has their own definition of what's newsworthy. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. I guess some people shouldn't be gatekeepers of the news. <laughs> but lucky for you, the decisions are now in the capable hands of this guy. Wow! It's time now for Michael Groff's seven most salient, salacious, and stimulating storylines of the day. I really should turn down my headphones before I blast that sounder into it, especially with, with those screams. Oh, my. Ugh. All right, I'll recover. Number seven. The NBA playoffs. Well, uh, since our last podcast, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers eliminated. Is that the end of LeBron James in the city of Cleveland? Is he on his way to New York? Is he on his way to Miami or Chicago? I've heard some people speculate that New Jersey may be the next stop for LeBron James. If they want to make this interesting, I say we just we throw the salary cap out the window. We just have every single team. We should make a reality show out of this. We should have every single team be able to give their best presentation and show it in like an hour special. We'll just like we'll we'll have like a, a running series. It'll be a a 29 week series where every team tries to lobby for LeBron James and they bring their best offer to the table. An open bidding war for LeBron. That's what I say. I can only imagine what, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder would be. Hey, we got Kevin Durant here. We got offer you best kid of our finest school. Meanwhile, the Suns and the Lakers, uh, the Suns uh, down one game to none to the to the L.A. Lakers. I guess I guess it was true. Why bother having that series, right? 
I mean, that's what everybody said. Why bother? But the Suns gave zero effort last night, and, and it showed on the court. I mean, zero effort. You could not. They mailed it in. In the third quarter, they just they flat out mailed it in. Frustration. I can understand why. But you didn't defend anybody. Once in a while, it doesn't. It's not going to kill you to play defense. And I know it's it's the three pointer is neat. And I know that shooting threes is 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 wonderful and nice if you make them. When you're not making them, like after the thirtieth three that you miss, might be time to start driving the basket. I mean, I'm just saying. And then, of course, we have um, in the East, the Celtics um, in a game that set basketball back 50 years. That was that was unwatchable. At least last night's Suns-Lakers game, one team was competing at a high level. And I'm convinced the Suns, who lost uh, to the Lakers last night, I'm convinced that uh, they would trounce whoever came out of the East. Boy, the Eastern Conference is bad. Those are the two best teams in the East, and that was the worst basketball I've seen maybe ever. And keep in mind, I used to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 90s, where the 24-second clock, they'd run down 23 seconds every possession. Oh, my God, that was terrible. Number six. All right, we have a... Well, it's, it is obviously an election year, and we have a candidate that lied about his service in Vietnam. You know, in the 21st century where there's Wikipedia, where there's really, there's an instant way to check anybody's background. You know, sometimes you you should just look yourself up on People Finder or whatever on, on these various sites. Not just Google, but just anywhere else. You could find out more information about yourself than you probably even knew about you. It's amazing. Well, why would you lie about your service or misspeak or whatever? Uh, just doesn't make any sense. Number five. The volcanic ash cloud that grounded many flights across Europe, it's back. Heathrow Airport shut down. Most of uh, Great Britain is under a, uh, they're in a no-fly zone. And uh, we could be looking at another significant economic impact across the area because, well, flights in and out of uh, England, done. No chance. Number four, Ronnie James Dio. The guy that brought us Holy Diver, dead. And uh, he wasn't even that old, really. What was he, uh, 60, was he 65, I think? 64, 65? Wow. Tell you what, man, it's, they're just dropping like flies the last uh, several weeks. We'll have more on that coming up in just a few minutes. Number three. three. Being a baseball guy, I just, I had to mention this. And I know we should just cover this in, in, in the sports uh, part of the program, and, and we should just you know, lump it all into one, but I, I, I just, I absolutely, I couldn't resist getting into this. And then that is Hanley Ramirez of the Florida Marlins. I had him on one of my fantasy teams uh, a couple years ago and, and, and won the league as a result, but this guy's useless otherwise. I know I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon. I know this is going to come across as, as a bad take, but 
You get paid all that money, and and you're supposedly one of the best players in the game, and you lollygag it like that on a misplayed ball, and then you aren't going to apologize. In fact, you're going to claim that you gave it your best effort. Again, if you missed it, we'll talk about it in more detail. Number two. South Korea says that North Korea sank one of their ships. Kim Jong-il would never do that. You know, this guy is completely stable. I I can't imagine that that would go on. Can you? Number one. Number one. The oil spill. The oil spill is still going on, and uh, BP has said they're, they're trying to clean this up. The mess uh, continues across the Gulf. Uh, this is going to have a permanent ripple effect on the ecological system in the Gulf. We, we know this. There's not even a question about it. The damage that it will have on the economy of the United States and Mexico as well and, and worldwide will be felt for some time. The fishing industry, the tourism industry, and then the subsequent domino effect that will occur. And everybody should be sending the bill to BP. It's their fault. They need to clean it up. That's all there is to it. I don't. I, is this even open for debate at this point? Wow. Okay, those are just some of the things that are on my radar at this point. Who needs billion-dollar cable news when you've got Michael Graff? Okay, um, we have a lot uh, still to get into. This isn't just the only uh, area that we, we need to cover. We have... Man, we have more stuff to talk about with SB 1070 here from the state of Arizona. I know you don't want to hear about it. You're done with it. I am too. Believe me, I don't. It's something that from a common sense standpoint, I don't understand why we're debating the legality of a law that's been on the books for years and years, not just on a federal level, but in other states. We're still talking about it. It's a bill that nobody seems to have read, and yet everybody is commenting on. I'm... I'm perplexed by the whole thing, too. But we will have to talk about it coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to get to that. We've got the pop chart. We've got all these other things I just mentioned. And that's not all. There's actually a lot more stuff still to come, so stick around. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff Show, the screen name. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show, AOL Instant Messenger. If you're wondering, no, it's not a new version of Funeral for a Friend. It's the extended intro for Dio. I mean, the guy died. We might as well play it. Little holy diver. Truthfully... Up until a few months ago, I, I didn't even remember this song's existence. And the only thing I know this guy for, the guy uh, was in Black Sabbath. But he was in Black Sabbath after Ozzy, so not really. 
That's like yes after 1982. All right, there's more coming up. Michael Groff in Exile continues in a minute. Shiny diamonds, like the eyes of a cat in the black and blue. Something is coming for you. Look out, race for the morning. You can hide in the sun till you see the light. Oh, we will pray it's all right. Gotta get away. Segment number two, Michael Graf in Exile. It is the Tuesday, May 18th, 2010 edition of this fine radio program. Now, I've done this show in one form or another for almost 10 years, believe it or not. 10th anniversary of this show, sort of, in September. And... Look, I don't always claim to do the topics that are the the sexiest topics. I don't talk about all of the biggest news that goes on in the world. Sometimes there's just things that I either don't really know a lot about, don't really care a lot about, or I don't think you'll care a lot about them. And there are those times where I do talk about the things that are just, they're just not the, the top of mind story that's out there. And for whatever reason, I think maybe they should be, or I at least think that they should be getting some attention. And uh, this is one of those times. There's a story here about the situation in South Korea. I don't know how much of this many of you have heard about it. And certainly, I haven't seen this covered very much. And it wasn't really that long ago that Kim Jong-il was in the news... As he tends to be. Remember, we were talking about him uh, having a nuclear weapon. Oh, my God, he might have a nuke. And, oh, the kind of hell he could potentially raise in the, in the Trump card that he could really hold over most of, uh, most of the United States and, and all these different promises that he made. And if we tried to meddle, he'd turn us into a sea of fire and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was a lot of saber rattling on his part. And he, he, he supposedly test fired a nuke and it was a low yield nuclear explosion. And it turned out to be a dud. So, obviously, uh, this... And then we really haven't heard anything about uh, North Korea ever since. That is, of course, up until now. And again, here's the story sort of verbatim from the AP. And I will reiterate, this isn't one of the most sexy stories out there. It's not like Ahmadinejad threatening to blow up Israel or anything like that. But it is still something that should be top of mind. And here it is, once again, as I said, verbatim. 
South Korea will formally blame North Korea on Thursday for launching a torpedo at one of its warships in March, causing an explosion that killed 46 sailors and heightened tensions in one of the world's most perilous regions, U.S. and East Asian officials said. Now, here's what they did. Uh, South Korea, they got together with uh, some investigators from Australia, Britain, Sweden, and the U.S., and they sort of pieced together the timeline that went down with this ship called the Chonin. Uh, they it sank on March 26. They they were at the port of Pyeongtaek, which is about 40 miles southwest of Seoul, and they were putting the ship back together. They were looking at the timeline of the vessel and they wanted to see exactly what happened. Well, they also went out and investigated further. They found a torpedo. They found that a torpedo had hit the ship. It was one of these. Uh, it was one of the torpedoes that is identified as a North Korean torpedo. South Korea's conclusion underscores the continuing threat posed by North Korea and, of course, the nature of the dispute between the two nations. Uh, Kim Jong-il, eh, you know, he's not really saying much about this whole incident. This is a situation that is a, a it's another way for the North Koreans to sort of flex their muscles and it's sort of a way to jab and 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 sort of gauge the reaction of what happens. We all saw this same game sort of being played um, a few years ago with the nuke in North Korea. And then we heard Kim Jong-il say, oh, if the United States tries anything, we'll turn them into a sea of fire. Well, uh, it, it's really good that you say that you're going to do that, except the problem is you don't even have a low-yielding nuclear bomb, as far as we know, based on your tests, that would be able to do any damage. Number two, you don't really have a way to get it here uh, they supposedly you're working on some Pyongyang, whatever missiles that were going to get to Hawaii or perhaps even the West Coast of the United States. But it seems that that technology, uh, again, our intelligence believes that you don't have that. So it was a lot of saber rattling and it was a lot more, I think, by Kim Jong-il to, to gauge the reaction. However, the reaction that he also got, as you'll recall, was through back channel communications... The United States did officially warn North Korea, and they said, listen, you try anything like that. If you were to fire a nuclear weapon, we would annihilate you. You would get completely destroyed. There would be no more North Korea. The bottom line is Kim Jong-il could raise hell for about 15 minutes. The Japanese were worried. The South Koreans were worried here in the United States. We were certainly concerned. And that's when we sort of uh, threw down the gauntlet and said, hey, look, if you try anything, you might be able to raise hell for a few minutes and then it'd be all over. It would be your destruction. Now, in this case, again, we don't know all of the details. We're still piecing together um, all of the all the facts in this particular case. But it seems very obvious from what the investigators are concluding that there was a torpedo fired at this ship from a North Korean vessel sinking the ship, killing 46 people. That goes beyond saber-rattling. And again, this does show that you still... Uh, we're, the focus right now has mainly been on the Iranians. Uh, we've also been centered on Pakistan and Afghanistan for various reasons, and with good reason. But you still have a nut that's out there in North Korea, and you still have to do something about this. And this is the challenge... Not only for the Obama administration, but any president that follows, this is the challenge because clearly the United Nations is worthless. They've shown time and again that they're worthless on this issue. Uh, we, we talk about um, what are we going to do? What would happen should North Korea decide they're going to do something? Uh, this has been discussed for 50 years now. This is not anything new. More than 50 years. Still, 
you have a nut out there, claims he has a bomb. He certainly has subs or ships that he's out there willing to fire a torpedo on a South Korean ship. I don't know. I, as far as I'm concerned, I would be a little bit worried here. Now, what can he really do? What can Kim Jong-il do? Well, we don't know exactly. But I think a very strong message needs to be sent once again to the North Koreans. Uh, it's, it's time we do something a little bit more than just call them on the phone and say, you know, guys, uh, if you try firing a nuclear weapon at us again, or if you, if you, try, uh, if you try test firing a, a, a missile, or no, no, no. It's about time we just tell them, stop the shenanigans or you're done. That's it. We're not going to do that because we believe in, you know, the, the administration right now takes the, um, the stance of diplomacy. And clearly, when we have such a reasonable, rational individual as Kim Jong-il, uh, that's clearly possible, is it not? We can certainly reason with uh, a dictator like that. Just like we can reason with a guy in Ahmadinejad who believes that the Holocaust never happened. We're going to be able to sit down across the table and we're going to be able to have some discussion with somebody like that. Have you ever had to try and have a, a reasonable conversation with somebody that was just completely unreasonable? Somebody that believes, for example, that the Holocaust never happened. Have you ever tried to have a discussion with them? You know, it's, it's impossible. Somebody that denies history. Well, uh... Yeah, World War II was all just a conspiracy anyway. It was all just there to drive. It was, it was uh, perpetuated by the, the entire world conspired uh, to have a war so we could gen up uh, jobs for people. I mean, you ever try to have a conversation with either conspiratorialists or people that believe in those kinds of things? You can't. And the same thing goes for, for this situation. The same thing goes for Kim Jong-il or Ahmadinejad or any of these other types. We're not going to be able to have reasonable sane discourse with with people like this you, you just you, you can't do it all right now shifting gears from that most pleasant topic onto this we have a hypocrisy alert this is hypocrisy not only on the part of the media but also hypocrisy on the part of the democratic party and as you know we call it on all sides of the board remember back in 2004 when CBS News was under fire because they allegedly forged documents of President George W. Bush's service and they, they tried to pass that off as well. Uh, uh, he never served. And, and they, they tried everything they could. Dan Rather got fired as a result. And it was just a, a big mess. And CBS News lost what little credibility they had remaining. And then people did their homework and said, well, George W. Bush did sort of defer a lot of his service. He did a lot of things to get out of serving in Vietnam. And he took a lot of crap for it. And some of it was certainly deservedly so. And we uh, definitely talked about that on the show at the time. Well, now I find it very interesting that we have sort of a similar situation going on, except it's a Democrat now that's in the spotlight for doing it. And strangely enough, not a peep out of the media about this. Not only is there not a peep out of the media about it, but this guy actually did something far worse. There is nothing worse than somebody that claims to have served in Vietnam when they didn't. And again, I don't know how dumb you have to be in the era of the internet, in the era of Wikipedia, in the era of having instant access to just about any information you could possibly get your hands on, anybody's background and records, why you would make a statement that is so patently absurd that it can be easily referenced. 
It really is kind of stupid. And of course, I'm talking about Richard Blumenthal, who's the Connecticut Attorney General. He's now running for Senate. And back in 2008, he was addressing a crowd at Norwalk in Connecticut. And he said this, quote, We've learned something important since the days that I served in Vietnam. And you exemplify it. Whatever we think about the war, whatever we call it, Afghanistan or Iraq, we owe our military men and women unconditional support. Now, that's fine that he said all that, except for the part where he said, we've learned something since the days that I served in Vietnam. Yeah, the problem is you never served in Vietnam. Okay, it's time to bring out the truth. Here's what actually happened. Blumenthal, Democrat. Uh, he obtained at least five military deferments from 1965 to 1970 and took repeated steps that enabled him to avoid going to war. So according to records, the deferments allowed Blumenthal to complete his studies at Harvard, pursue a graduate fellowship in England, serve as a special assistant to the Washington Post publisher, Catherine Graham, and ultimately take a job in the White House under Richard Nixon. In 1970, with, at li with uh, his last deferment in jeopardy, he landed a coveted spot in the Marine Reserve, which virtually guaranteed that he would never have to serve in Vietnam. He joined a unit in Washington and conducted drills and other exercises that uh, were focused on local projects like fixing campgrounds and organizing a Toys for Tots drive. Now, again, I'm not necessarily putting that down. But if you claim you served in Vietnam and then you never served in Vietnam, I don't care what you did. I don't care if you did Toys for Tots drives. I don't care what other kind of um, generally altruistic work you may have done. And, and the fact that you still did serve your country, well, kind of. I still have to say that you're a liar. You're a liar and uh, it's time you get called out on the carpet for it. Now, of course... Of course, Richard Blumenthal, it's kind of like spin the wheel of defense. What defense will he use? Will he use the I was misquoted defense? Will he say, I didn't actually say that? Or will he say, I misspoke? Well, if you chose, he claimed he misspoke, give yourself 100 points because that's what he says. He says, I misspoke. I, yeah, sure you did. No, what you tried to do, you tried to pull... I, who was it? that The manager of the Blue Jays was that uh, Tim Johnson, I think, did the exact same thing. He he talked about serving in Nam, and the guy never, never even served... I don't think he ever even served in the military. And that was about, what, 15 years ago that that story happened. Now, it's one thing to... It's kind of like one thing when the vice president's... Uh, well, when... Um, <clears throat> rather, when... Um, Hillary Clinton. Remember when she said she was over in Bosnia and they took sniper fire? And of course, that never happened. That, that story came out to be a lie. It, but, you know, I mean, that's one of those things that maybe you could get away with lying about. Of course, you can't because nowadays there's media with everybody that goes anywhere, uh, including the first lady, including vice president, including hell. Uh, with TMZ and with everybody having a camera on their cell phone, I don't think there's any way you could get away with lying about something that big no matter what anymore. Even if you're there supposedly in seclusion, even if you're there in private, I don't think you can get away with it anymore. That's, that was a bad enough lie. But this is just one you can look up. 
This is one that you just merely have to do a simple background check and you can find out, oh, look, you're totally lying. I misspoke. No, what you tried to do was you tried to give yourself credibility to speak on the issue of the military and the involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's okay to have an opinion and not have served in the military. It's just that he wanted to gain a little bit more political clout and he thought he was going to get away with it and he thought he would just make a statement that, uh, quite frankly, back then breezed right by everybody. That was May 2008 that he made that statement and apparently nobody found out about it. Nobody bothered to fact check it until now. So for the most part, dude got away with it. And but for the fact that he was running for Senate, I think maybe he might continue to have gotten away with it. I don't think that anybody would have found out. Maybe he might have been able to make those statements and just let it go. It's very sad. It's very sad. It's a slap in the face to anybody that actually served in the United States military to have this happen. Let's see. Um... He praised the audience for paying tribute to the troops fighting abroad, noting that America had come to blah, blah, blah. I served during the Vietnam era. This is, again, this is another quote where he addressed the crowd and said that he served. This is, again, back in, like, 2008. Blumenthal, 64, is known as a brilliant lawyer. He likes to argue cases in court and uses language with power and precision. He is always savvy about the news media and attentive to how he is portrayed by the press. Well, uh, guess what? You're now portrayed as a liar, at least to me. Now, I know because you're a Democrat, you're probably going to get a free pass in most of the press. I can guarantee you that had had this been, I don't know, somebody on the Republican side, had this been, um, let's just say Tom Horn, who's running for attorney general in the state of Arizona. Okay, let's say that he made those kind of statements. Well, you can bet that Ed Schultz would have had, uh, he would have done like a whole half hour on it. You can bet that uh, he would have been one of the worst people in the world on Keith Olbermann's show. Meanwhile, I bet little Keithy never talks about this guy tonight. I bet I bet Keith never even addresses this issue. Or, you know, I bet the, the spin will be that these guys will say, well, you know, uh, a lot of Republicans have lied. Certainly there's been a lot of lies. Uh, the eight years of the Bush administration, that was all lies. So uh, this one's okay. No, you can't do that. You can't justify lies by saying that somebody on the other side opposing to you lied. You have to call them out. You have to call them on the carpet and say, you're a liar. Why should we trust you to be in the United States Senate when you claimed you served in Vietnam and you got deferments to do anything but serve in Vietnam? It's admirable. It's fine that you went to Harvard. Okay, it's great. It's nice that you went to England and had a nice vacation over there. That's cool. It's great that you did a Toys for Tots drive. Guess what? I've done it too. I'm not going to claim that I served in Vietnam. You know, maybe I should. I'm only 32 years old. And I mean, you could you could see right through it. But I don't know uh, if if all I have to do apparently is run on the Democratic ticket and nobody is going to call me out for it. Nobody. The New Haven Register on July 20, 2006, described him as, quote, a veteran of the Vietnam War. And on April 6, 2007, said that the attorney general has, quote, served in the Marines in Vietnam. On May 26, 2009, the Connecticut Post, a Bridgeport newspaper that is the state's third largest daily, described Mr. Blumenthal as, quote, a Vietnam veteran. The Shelton Weekly reported on May 23, 2008, that Blumenthal was, quote, was met with applause when he spoke about his experience as a Marine sergeant in Vietnam. 
I mean, if he would have kept talking, if they would have let him keep going, he probably would have claimed he was a four-star general, for God's sake. And the idea that he served in Vietnam has become such an accepted part of the public biography that when a national outlet, State Magazine, produced a profile of Blumenthal back in 2000, it said he, quote, enlisted in the Marines rather than duck the Vietnam draft. See, this is the kind of stuff. You wonder why newspapers across the country are closing down left and right. You wonder why they're becoming irrelevant. It's because nobody bothers to fact check. Journalism is completely dead, it would seem. If I worked at a newspaper and somebody came and said, oh, why don't you do a story on that Blumenthal? And then they said, okay, well, you know, he's a Vietnam vet. You know what? I would check. I wouldn't take anybody at their word for anything that they say. And maybe that's my cynical nature. Clearly it is. When somebody says anything to me, I, I don't take it, I take it at face value and I, I fact check. I don't trust anybody. I don't trust my friends. I don't trust, the only, about the only person you can really trust is probably your own mother. And that's it. Maybe, I, I think I trust the people in my family and, and that's about it. And only a few of them. Don't trust anybody. And definitely, this is why you definitely can't trust what you read or what you hear. You have to check it out for yourself. That's why whenever I do this show, I always tell people, don't believe what I tell you. Look it up for yourself. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't sit here. I don't tell you anything that's, that's false. At least I don't think so. As far as I know, everything I tell you is factual. Factual within the boundaries of what I check. I may have misquoted a stat or two. I've certainly made some, some poor predictions. But, uh, yeah, the Padres are still in first place in the National League West. But, again, it's May 18th. Let's not get too nuts. But, yeah, they are. But that doesn't mean, uh, but I, I'm certainly not going to tell you anything that's, um, that's just blatantly wrong like these guys. And, I mean, it just shows you can't trust anything in the media anymore. Print, TV, whatever. You just, you can't trust it. And, really, there's not much objectivity. Keith Olbermann... Chris Matthews feeling the the uh, the thrill going up his leg, any of that stuff. You can't trust any of these people. You gotta just look for yourself. You gotta be your own news guy these days. It's amazing with all the technology that we have out there and all the information sources that are available to us. The fact that people would go on TV and just insult you by lying to you, whether it's a a candidate for Senate. Whether it's a guy on Fox News or MSNBC or C, uh, CNN or whatever, any of these places. The fact that these people would just come on and give you erroneous information. Believe me, I fact check everything that I hear and see and read. Whatever. I check it. But again, as I tell people, don't, uh, don't just take my word for it. Go look for yourself. All right. Now, this is a story that is obviously not going away. It's one that we're going to be talking about for a while. Um, it involves BP, the, the mess in the Gulf of Mexico. Again, not necessarily one of the most sexy stories. Why is this story not being covered on a broad basis? Well, because, frankly, most people can't see the damage. It's not like a lot of oil has washed up on shore just yet. Uh, this has not been, it's not quite as bad, at least in appearance, as the Exxon Valdez, even though it's, it's 10 times worse. It's 100 times worse. It'll have far longer lasting consequences than the Exxon Valdez. This is a situation, and I mentioned it off the top of the show, and I stand by this statement. This oil spill 
will have permanent ecological effects on the Gulf of Mexico. And it will have at least somewhat significant medium-term economic impact on the rest of the world. Now, first, the ecology of the Gulf of Mexico. I don't claim to be a biologist or a marine biologist. I don't claim to know everything about that. But I do know that, uh, and I'm also not going to come on the air and be an alarmist and tell you that everything in the Gulf is dead. It's just going to be a, a dead Gulf or a dead sea. It's not going to be like that. However... There will be a lot of marine life, there already has been, and there will continue to be a lot of marine life that is destroyed as a result of this. Uh, we will be feeling the effects of this, we as a planet will be feeling the effects of this for decades, perhaps a century. And when I say permanent effects, I mean, God knows what might be killed off in this and what sort of long-term uh, sort of, um, how should I say this, long-term evolutionary effects this may have on creatures in the Gulf. We don't know. We don't know. This is millions and millions of gallons of oil that are just being dumped into the sea. And, you know, I know that there's going to be people that come on the radio and bloviate about this issue. I know Rush Limbaugh is going to get on and try and carry the oil-infested water for the uh, oil companies here and tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the environmentalists should try to tell you that uh, you know, we're not going to have any kind of a significant impact. This, uh. Look, I, I, I am not an environmentalist nut job. I am not somebody that uh, is going to go out and work for Greenpeace anytime soon. I'm just the common sense sort of guy. And common sense tells me that if we just dump a whole bunch of oil into the middle of an ocean someplace or in the middle of a gulf someplace where there's living creatures there, it's going to impact them. And it's going to impact a lot of industry as a result. The fishing industry, ruined. Tourism industry is going to be significantly impacted. I'm not saying that people won't go and visit the Gulf Coast because there was some oil spilled, but... Can you imagine you go to, let's say you go to Galveston Island or Corpus Christi or you go to the Florida Keys or Tampa or something like that this summer and all of a sudden Biloxi, Mississippi, I mean, a lot of business there. And you see you see all this oil washing up. And you, hey, honey, let's, uh, let's go out to the beach. Let's go for a swim. Oh, you can't. I'm sorry. The beach is closed. Uh, the oil is washed up. That hurts tourism. What do you think people are going to go down there? I, I want to go down to Biloxi so I, can, uh, so I can see what kind of damage has been done to the Gulf. That sounds like a great tourism. Uh, <laughs> I can see that the package is being put together now. Want to see how bad BP effed up the Gulf of Mexico? Come to Florida this summer. I don't think so. We've already had reports of tar balls in um, Key West. Also, there's a slick of oil underneath the surface of the Gulf. It's, some of these slicks are, are over 10 to 15 miles long. All of the oil that we perceive at the surface, according to uh, many of the reports I've read, there's at least five times that much oil below the surface that we can't see. It's sort of like an iceberg effect. And you're telling me that there's not going to be long-term damage. And here's the worst part. The worst part is we've got BP, and this is their mess. Make no mistake about it. This is their mess. And BP is saying, well, it's somebody else's, but they're blaming Halliburton. And then everybody's pointing the finger somewhere else. My point to all this is, and we need to just go back. I guess we're just going to have to take a, a very elementary school or a very, like, toddler look at it. Your toddler knocks over uh, something. You tell them, clean it up. 
You knocked over the milk, clean it up. It's your mess. You clean it up. You brought all these toys out to the living room. You pick up the toys. It's your mess. You clean it up. BP, this is your mess. We have to get it down to elementary school level here or toddler level. And we have to just tell them, hey, this is your mess. You clean it up. And then they can say, well, it's Halliburton. Look, you go and sue whoever you have to sue to get the money. But you are going to spend the money and you are going to clean this up. We don't care where the money comes from. You will clean it up. It's that simple. I don't, I don't think there's anything else. That's as bottom line as I can make it for you. We don't need a law that says that. I'm sure we already have a law that says if you make the mess, you clean it up. If we don't, we I guess we, we need one. I guess we need a law to tell people what they should already know. And what they should already know is if you made the mess, get down there and clean it up. And BP, you know, they've got skimmers out there in the Gulf and they're out there getting some of the oil and they say, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to be able to get some of it. No, yeah, maybe you're going to get some of it. You're going to get some, but there's all those tar balls. So much oil down there. We don't even know how much. We don't know. Uh, hundreds of thousands of gallons, millions of gallons. They say, well, we, we're going we're gonna to skim some of this and we're going to dig a, a well somewhere else to take the pressure off the existing leak. And we got a pipeline that we're running under there. And the federal government says, ah, we might be able to help out. But, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer, even though, uh, you know, we got criticized for Katrina after four days. And this has been going on for, for weeks and no criticism, I guess, for the government. But anyway, they say they're going to help. And the fishermen... Uh, their business is gone. I say the fishermen should send a bill to BP. The U.S. federal government should send a bill to BP. And BP, even though they're already trying to do it, don't even attempt, don't even think about crying poverty. Don't even think that you're going to get out there and say, oh, we don't have the money. Yeah, we, we don't have the money. We, um, yeah, man, we're BP. Uh, we're, we're poor. Yeah, sure you are. You, what did you have, $30 billion in profits last year or something? Well, you know, the economy. I mean, that's more, it's probably more like $25 billion. Billion. Ba -ba 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 billion. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you take some of those huge profits that you have and go and clean up this mess? And uh, this, I know the reaction is, well, how's this going to affect gas prices? Well, I don't know. A lot of the oil doesn't come from there, but I will say that it's almost hurricane season. Anytime they even think about predicting that we're going to have a, a higher than normal hurricane season, a greater than average number of hurricanes, uh, they, the speculation, which is all about the, the oil market is nothing but speculation. It drives up the price of oil, which means it drives up the cost of gas at the pump. And we get to see insufferable, endless stories paying at the pump tonight at 10. Yeah, we're going to see more paying at the pump stories. And, and so I can't imagine that this isn't going to affect the price of gas, even though we don't get most of our gas from here. This is not something, but it is, it, it, and supposedly it's not going to affect the, uh, the surplus in the market that much. But I say any excuse to drive up the price of gas, it's probably going to be used. It's going to affect us at the pump sooner or later, if it hasn't already. Actually, I saw gas uh, here in the Phoenix area, at least, had gone down a few cents, which is unusual because in the spring, uh, that's when they, they bring in this summer blend. And uh, they, I don't know why we have two different blends but I guess we have a summer blend of gas here in the Phoenix area and uh, that always drives the price up. And then when they go back to the winter blend, that drives the price up. Anything will drive the price up. 
If there's going to be above normal hurricane activity, uh, that'll drive the price up. If there's not going to be above normal hurricane activity, that will drive the price up because that will mean there's going to be more production and more production means more surplus and more surplus means, hey, we don't need to make as much. So that drives the price up. Any excuse to drive the price up, that will happen. It's ridiculous. But as, as if I have not said it enough, and I think the one thing you should take away from this entire rant is BP made the mess. This is your oil. You clean it up. And everybody that, that has been hurt by this, the tourism industry, the fishing industry, which is really the, the, the ones I feel the most sorry for, and everybody else that's affected by this, send BP the bill. You federal government, go ahead, send BP the bill. I mean, they can afford it, and it is their problem, but they're going to say it's not their fault. We don't care. I don't, I don't want to hear your problems. I don't want to hear whose fault you think it is. Uh, we're blaming you. It's, it, it is your oil, after all. So that's the risk. It's the risk of being in the oil business. Something goes wrong. You've got to clean it up. If they ran a, a, a pipeline through a neighborhood, let's say, let's say there was a great big old above ground pipeline that was running through or even below ground pipeline that was running through a residential neighborhood someplace and that pipeline exploded and, and and fire was shooting into the air and it took out a bunch of homes and a bunch of people died you know what they would still be responsible they would ultimately have to pay and i know they would do anything they could to avoid it that's what they try to do with the exxon valdez you know 20 years later people are still just barely getting paid for the Exxon Valdez. That is still, that is law, this lawsuits, that is litigation that has been going on for 20 years. Some of the people that were involved in that have died. That case has been passed down <laughs> to another generation. It really has. That is still big, big uh, litigation uh, for, for, and that was more than 20 years ago. This is going to be hashed out in court as the wheels of justice spin slower than continental drift. And we, uh, we you know, people are not going to get justice for this. So the fishermen, you better, hopefully you filed your, your lawsuit 20 years ago. Hopefully you got a time machine and you filed those because you're not going to see any dime from uh, they're going to come on and, and BP is going to try and make themselves look good. They're going to have their their commercials with the, you know, with the sun shining on the ocean and the clouds, the birds, the, the gulls flying by and a, and a child uh, swimming, uh, you know, playing on the beach, building a sandcastle. BP cares. BP you know, it's it's going to be one of those commercials with the yeah, with the nice, soft, gentle music. British Petroleum. It was our effing mess, and we made it, but we cleaned it up. BP. All right, fine. All right, uh, look, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta take a break. All right, but I just, it's time somebody took some responsibility. Good luck ever trying to get any sort of uh, offshore drilling legislation passed now. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. That's also the PayPal address. Want to donate to this program? Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show. AOL Instant Messenger. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F -F Show. AOL Instant Messenger. Bye, bye, 
all of your Michael Graff needs can be found at the one, the only Michael You can also check out our chat channel. It's at Michael Or if you just want to do it the short way, if you have IRC, you can go on. We're on the, uh, we're on EFnet. The channel is net radio. What you're listening to right now is Michael Graff in exile on a Tuesday. We come back. A couple of other things. Got to talk about, uh, well, more fallout from uh, SB 1070. A lot of people debating the legality of the issue and still a lot of people bloviating about it. And most people haven't even read it. I know it's been weeks that we've been talking about it and I'm tired of it too, but... I figure if they're going to spend your tax dollars to have to file a suit against it, you got to know that your representatives haven't even bothered to read it. More coming up. Michael Graff in Exile. Pop chart coming up, too. Stick around. segment of Michael Grav in Exile on a Tuesday. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Also our PayPal address, should you want to donate to this program. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Grav Show, the screen name. Yes, we're also at MichaelGrav.com for you the chat and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know by now, you've got it all figured out, right? Sure. So I guess I, I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed. You'll have to understand that I do this show. I'm not the typical talk show host, all right? I don't just uh, open up the newspaper and I, I just don't look for the most salacious topic and I come on the air and I go, you know, that sounds like a great thing. I'm just going to throw it out there. And even when I had the show, when it was uh, the live show and I took phone calls and it wasn't just like, hey, uh, here's a topic. What do you think? Give me a call. I refuse to do that kind of radio. But I, I am confused right now. Somebody's going to have to help me out with this. 
Arizona passed the law, SB 1070, and in this law, it's a 10-page law. I have it right here, as a matter of fact. This is actually the radio theater of the mind. This is actually the copy of SB 1070. I decided to print it out. It's, it is. It's about 10 pages. And the funny thing about this bill is that it is still causing such a controversy, and I don't understand why. It's a law that says if you come into this country illegally, uh, police can stop you. Basically, if you break the law, we will enforce the law that you broke. That's really what the what the bill says. It already is a federal law to enter the United States without proper documentation, either a work visa, uh, a passport, you know, here for a vacation or to come here to be a resident, to apply for and then eventually become a resident, a citizen of the United States. And um, it, it, it's, it's already against the federal law. So the state of Arizona took it upon itself to have a means of enforcement of this federal law. It would be the same as if there was not a state law against robbing a bank. It's only a federal crime. So the state decides we're going to have a law that says you can't, that if you rob a bank, that police can enforce that law, that they can detain you, they can arrest you, they can take the necessary steps. It's a state crime. The same thing applies to this law. This is it that's about as common sense as I can make it. It's a crime. It's it's illegal. We're just coming up with a means of enforcement. And even in this bill it says that race color cannot be used as a means of determining somebody's legal status in this country. It, it's as outlined, as clear, and as concise as can be. All you have to do is actually read the bill. Just about everybody that's having the negative response that they are has not actually read the bill. I would challenge most of the people on liberal talk radio, for example, or most of the people in our own government to actually read the bill. And many of them have not. And I would assert that. And I, and I won't just, I'm not even just making that claim, pulling that out of my ass. That's actually the truth. Yes, our own State Department has not read the bill. Our own Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, and former governor of the state of Arizona, she has not read the bill. Eric Holder, Attorney General of the United States, has not read the bill. Barack Obama, President of the United States, has not read the bill. The bottom line is they have not read the bill. So how is it that they can not only comment on the bill, but they can also uh, decide that they're going to threaten legal action against the bill, a bill that they have not read? Here, this is the State Department. This is the United States State Department, a spokesman from the State Department saying <clears throat> uh, that uh, they have not read the bill. Listen to this. May actually end up with a court challenge, but this is how we handle issues of controversy in our country. And of course, we would lead by example and hope that this is something that have will you happen read in the China law? as well. Have I read the law? Yes. No. It's very short, 10 pages about, <laughs> I got it right here in front of me. You're talking about the context of this law and you haven't read it? I'm, I'm simply responding to a challenge wow. that says that we at the Department of State were apologizing for America. We are actually standing up to America by yeah. saying this is how we function in a civil society. We are apologizing to the Chinese right now. We're apologizing to the rest of the world over this bill, over a bill that was drafted by the state of Arizona. We're apologizing to the world. The State Department is apologizing over a bill that it hasn't even read. Think about that. 
a bill they, they haven't even read they're apologizing for. Listen to this. This is how we function under the rule of law. This is how we promote an independent judiciary PJ, in this country. Last question. This is how we promote this is how we promote vigorous Janet political Napolitano debate. Janet Napolitano and Eric Holder, both who have been on talk shows criticizing this law, have sheepishly admitted they haven't even read it. And apparently you haven't either. Well, what's going on here? Uh, again, uh, all I'm, I'm going to try to do this morning is say that we had a vigorous debate <laughs> and discussion with our Chinese uh, delegation no last week, promoting human rights here in this country and promoting human rights around the world. P.J. Crowley, State Department, thank you very much. Yeah, we better be having a debate with China about human rights because God knows China is right there at the forefront of leading the charge on human rights, aren't they? Yes, the Chinese with uh, if you are pregnant with a with a female, that female is as good as toast. Female is going to end up in a stew someplace. Nice. That's that's Chinese human rights in action right there. Mandatory abortions if you're trying to have a female. Sorry. It's done. As uh, as he mentioned there, PJ Crowley mentioned of the State Department. Yes, it continues. More people commenting on this. Now, this is Senator John McCain addressing Jenna Napolitano. Now, there's, this is actually part of a very long clip. There's, there's like six or seven, eight minutes of this. And I just cut it down a little bit because uh, John McCain, first of all, uh, he's all of a sudden now, he's big on uh, fighting against illegal immigrants. I, I don't know. It must be an election year, huh? <laughs> well, anyway, he's... Um, He's asking Janet Napolitano why she hasn't done anything. And then he asks the most important question. Janet, former governor of the state of Arizona, commenting on this bill. Have you actually, have you actually read the law? Finally, uh, if I might ask, have you uh, had a chance to review the new law that was passed by the state of Arizona? Uh, I have not uh reviewed it in detail i certainly know of it senator so you're not prepared to make a judgment on it senator um uh <laughs> that is uh, uh, uh -huh. not a law uh, uh let me just say this as you know and, and are well aware that's not the smoke kind of coming law out of her ears signed. and for what reason but she says by the way i talked over it she says here she says that's not a law i would have signed listen that's not the kind of law I would have signed. Now, incidentally, she gives a, this is a simple yes or no question that, that John McCain asks. Have you, have you read the law? And she stammers and she says, well, no, but that's not the kind of law I would have passed. How do you know it's not the kind of law you would have passed? You admit to not having read it. And she gives you that answer like, well, you know, I, I know of it. That's like, that's, that's like if, if you're in, in grade school and you're asked to do a book report. Hold on, I'll, I'll get back to that analogy in a second. Just listen to the rest of Manchan's answer here. And for what reason? Uh, well, because I believe that uh, it, it, it's a bad law enforcement law. Uh, I believe it mandates uh, and right. requires local law enforcement or puts them in a position many do not want to be placed in. That's right, because you haven't read it. Um, when, uh, when I was dealing with laws of that ilk, uh, it, most ilk. of the law enforcement organizations in Arizona at that time uh, were opposed to such legislation. And isn't that interesting? She says, well, you know, I really haven't read the law, but I'm going to, here I go commenting on it. Laws of that ilk. I would not have signed such a law. How do you know? Didn't even read it. 
This isn't like that health care bill that we passed that's 2,000 pages that everybody commented on and not a single one of our representatives read it. This is a 10-page piece of legislation which actually reads very easily. It reads much easier than the lease agreement on your house. It reads much easier than a car, uh, than, than like a, a contract with, a, with like an auto industry or something like that. This is a, this is a very simple document. Reads very simply. I, I thought about reading the law on the air. That way, uh, they, the, our, our representatives could have just downloaded this podcast and they could just listen to me read the law to them. It would be like having a book on tape. Now, I understand that uh, for many of our representatives, they can't be bothered with uh, reading things. So there you go. Janet, the system worked Napolitano, who says that, well, she, she's going to comment on the law, but she hasn't actually read it yet. That's your Secretary of Homeland Security. And then finally, the best one is uh, Representative Ted Poe. And he is questioning Eric Holder about the law. Now, Eric Holder, the Attorney General of the United States, has said that he is going to file a lawsuit. Potentially, he may file legal action against this bill. But there is one little problem He's glanced at it, but he hasn't actually read it, which is, of course, the classic excuse that like a, a grade schooler uses about a book report. You know, your mom asks you, have you read the book yet? Well, you know, I, I glanced at it. I, you know, I sort of took a look at it, but I haven't actually, you know, I've heard about it, heard about the book. That's like a magic. You know, what about of mice and men? Well, I, I mean, I, I understand that it's a book. Uh, Lenny, George, I know, you know, Lenny's like the slow guy and he likes rabbits. Boy, that's a very good summation. That's great. Here is uh, this again. This is uh, Representative Ted Poe of Texas talking to Eric Holder, Attorney General of the United States. Your Attorney General under the Barack Obama administration has not read the book. Have you read the Arizona law? Uh, I have not had a chance to. I've glanced at it. I have not read it. Um, with this it's 10 pages. It's a lot shorter than the uh, health care bill, which was 2,000 pages long. <laughs> I'll give you my copy of it if you uh, would like to, to have a copy. Uh, <laughs> even though you haven't read the law, do you have an opinion as to whether it's constitutional? Uh, I have not really, I've not been briefed yet. Um, we, as I said, have had underway a review of the law. I have not been briefed by the people who have been who are responsible for that review. Oh are you going to read the law? I'm sure I will read the law in anticipation of that briefing. I know that they will put that in front of me, and I'll spend a good evening um, reading that law. Sure you will. Well, I've gone through it, and um, it's pretty simple. It takes the federal law and makes it, uh, uh, enacts it in a state statute, although it makes it much more uh, um, refined in that it actually says uh, in one of the sections, uh, the no state or subdivision may consider race, color, national origin and implementing the requirements of any subsection of this law uh, seems to outlaw racial profiling in the law. I know there's been a lot of media hype about the, uh, the legislation. Uh, do you see a difference in the constitutionality of a statute and the constitutionality of the application of that statute? Do you see there's a difference in those two? Sure, there's a potential for uh challenging a law on its face and then challenging a law as it is applied. Um, so there are two bases for um, challenging a particular statute. But before you challenge the statute, don't you think maybe, just maybe, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. Don't you think that as the Attorney General of the United States of America, you might want to actually um, just sit down and 
read the bill, maybe. Before you go after the constitutionality of said bill, I mean, after all, I don't think you bothered to read the 2,000-page health care bill and uh, worry about the constitutionality of forcing Americans to purchase something, the government mandate whereby Americans must purchase something or face the penalty of fine. Uh, we, we've got that one passed through without any incident whatsoever. Oh, wait, it was because a Democrat passed it. Oh, I forgot. We're playing the politics again. Ah, this is just it's such an outrage. It really is. Uh, this again, <clears throat> these are people that you have either elected or people that our elected officials have entrusted to run this country. And here they are. They are not, they, they're just shirking their responsibility to the United States of America. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party, Constitutionalist, whatever you may be. If you're elected to an office, God forbid you're one of our representatives in Congress and you're being paid $200,000 a year. And really, the entirety of your job rests on you voting up or down, yay or nay, on legislation. And you don't even bother to read that legislation. And um, then you're going to comment on it. Or if you're, for example, the Attorney General of the United States, and you're going to question the constitutionality of a law, and you haven't even bothered to read that law, and yet you are entrusted to protect the United States legally. You're entrusted uh, to, to uh, look after the laws of the United States of America. Don't you think maybe you ought to take that responsibility a little bit more seriously before you start opening your mouth, flapping your gums about whether or not something is constitutional? Maybe? The United States State Department? They're apologizing to China over human rights violations that haven't even occurred as a result of this bill. We are apologizing to the Chinese as a result. Excuse me for finding that just a little bit outrageous. We're going to apologize to the Chinese over something that, number one, isn't even officially law yet. Because the legislative session here in the state of Arizona hasn't ended. Legal challenges Although I, I don't know of any that have been officially filed yet, nothing seems to have been filed. Uh, but whatever the case may be, if legal challenges are filed, it still won't be a law. We're apologizing about something that right now isn't even law. Something that we're apologizing for something that the people that are apologizing about it, they haven't even read it. I, it must be an election year. That's all I can say. And it, it must be a government that is completely run by amateurs, idiots. This is what you get. This is really what you get. I'm, I'm shocked. You know what? Actually, I'm not. I'm really not. I'm not surprised by this anymore. Nothing that happens under this administration, nothing that is happening in our government right now, never mind the administration, nothing that is happening in our government right now surprises me anymore. I'm not. It's it, the, the shock value. I, I'm completely desensitized to the stupidity. I'm desensitized to the laziness. I am desensitized to the polarizing political effect that has gone on in this country, where if one party does something, the other party just completely overreacts, blows it up to beyond reasonable proportion. And we just we turn it into this this incredible wedge that divides the United States. I am not surprised by it anymore. 
I'm not. Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder just completely um, dismissing his own responsibility. Opening your mouth and saying that you're going to challenge something legally. And that only serves to uh, inflame or it only serves to fan the flames of those who who are on your side politically and uh, help your cause. And then they're going to go out and scream racism because they believe that you've actually read the bill. They actually think that maybe the attorney general has read the bill and thinks that there's a possibility of racism involved here. There's none at all. There's none. I'm sure you can hear the frustration coming from my voice. I've been talking about this issue for a while. Uh, I talk about the issue of illegal immigration, though I try to shy away from it now because it's just old hat. To me, why even bother to discuss something that, that just seems so common sense? But okay, I guess it's not. It's common sense to me. The problem is uh, common sense is in short supply nowadays. It should be called uncommon sense or rare sense or very rare, whatever, unique. Apparently, I'm the only one that possesses it anymore. All right. Speaking of people that do not possess common sense, I, I have to bring this up. And it's not often that I talk Florida Marlins baseball here on the podcast. Not that I, I certainly discuss baseball a lot, but I, to discuss the Florida Marlins, even though they are two games over 500, it must be for either a very good or a very bad reason that I am going to get into the Marlins. And it, uh, well, it involves Hanley Ramirez, the all-star shortstop for the, uh, for the Marlins, the guy that won the batting title last year, and uh, he was on one of my fantasy baseball teams and uh, helped win me the league a couple of years ago. So I just want to point that out. Um, Hanley Ramirez is, is, is awesome in a lot of ways, uh, but maybe not so much. Maybe he's showing some of his true colors. So last night, uh, the Marlins are playing the Arizona Diamondbacks, and uh, it's, it's a routine play. Now, earlier in the game, Ramirez fouled a ball off his shin or his foot or something. He looked like he might have uh, gotten a little banged up. But So it's, it's kind of a routine play, and Ramirez should make it, but on, instead he boots the ball. <clears throat> you know, it's one of those clankers right off the glove. He boots the ball, and, in, you know, in chasing the ball out toward left field, he just sort of trots after it. I wouldn't even call it much of a jog. I would call it a... I'd call it a very fast walk that Ramirez makes after the ball. In other words, he dogs the play. After he makes the error, he dogs the play. A couple of runs score for the Diamondbacks. It really ultimately doesn't really have much of an impact on the game, I guess, because the Diamondbacks wound up actually winning the game 5-1, to one, which is more of a miracle, the fact that the Diamondbacks give up one run in a game. Of course, it was by the bullpen. <laughs> that, was the, that was how the run got given up. The worst bullpen in right now on pace to be the worst bullpen in history. We'll get to that in just a second. Don't worry. I'm going to circle back around to Arizona. Anyway, Hanley Ramirez is immediately pulled out of the game by manager Frank Gonzalez, and um, now the manager says, "I'm not going to play him for a while. I'm not. You got to apologize for that. Apologize to his team." Manny Ramirez, or rather, uh, Hanley Ramirez. I'm sorry, I got my Ramirez is uh, going there. Hanley Ramirez says, "It's his team," referring to Frank Gonzalez, manager. It's his team. He can do whatever the f he wants. But I'm not apologizing. And then he goes on to say, he explains that he played out that play. He did hustle after that ball. If that was hustle, 
I walk faster to Circle K than he walked after that ball. That ball almost it was at a dead stop by the time he picked it up. He had no intention of trying to make that play or make up for the error. He mailed it in. I mean, the guy is, he's, he's, a, he's a top caliber, but we're talking top shelf player in the league, okay? He knows it. He's this, he is by far the best player on the Florida Marlins, okay? And Frank Gonzalez to stand up to him, I mean, that's, that is, that's making a stand as a manager. I admire him for doing that. And until Ramirez apologizes, he may stay out of that uh, lineup for a considerable amount of time. I know it may cost the Marlins games to not have him out there. It certainly didn't cost them against the Diamondbacks today as they, they whooped him up at 8-0. But it could down the road. Not saying the Marlins are necessarily uh, going to be contenders when it's all said and done in the, uh, in the National League East. But hey, it's not like they're mathematically eliminated right now. But this is one of those moves where you have to take a stand against a guy that is, he clearly doesn't respect you. Uh, Hanley Ramirez went on to say that uh, he never played the game. Talking about his manager, he never played the game. What does he know? Well, I mean, he played in the minors, but yeah, he never did play Major League Baseball. I mean, when a, when a player says that about you, when they say, well, he never played, what does he know? That says he has absolutely no respect for you. That says he is uh, downgrading you as a manager and, and, uh, this could be a dividing factor in the clubhouse. But Ramirez went on to say, there are other players that don't hustle and they're not benched. Why should I have to apologize? So now he's throwing the rest of his teammates or at least some of his other teammates under the bus as well. This guy is a tool. Uh, this is another, th- that kind of influence, you don't need it on your team. And I realize it's the Florida Marlins and like 17 people care about the Marlins, even in South Florida. I mean, I saw that game today. There was, there was like, what was there, about 50 people there, really? There was hardly anybody there. You can hear individual conversations uh, over the TV broadcast of Marlins games. All right? It's, uh, it's bad. It's not like it's even, it's at least somewhat competitive baseball. They're certainly playing at a, a decent level. I mean, it could be worse. You could be watching, well, the Diamondbacks bullpen, for example. So be thankful that you have the Marlins. And that does bring me back around. Look, um, <clears throat> the Diamondbacks won last night in that game that Hanley Ramirez got pulled out. Uh, they won that game 5-1. to one. Edwin Jackson started for the Diamondbacks. He went eight innings, giving up no runs, striking out 12, a career high. And that was great. In the ninth inning, <clears throat> Heilman came in. Aaron Heilman came in and gave up a run. And the tying run was actually in the on-deck circle at the time. But uh, no no real harm done. Just another run for the bullpen to absorb into that ERA that's uh, inflating rapidly. Then today, the Diamondbacks get rolled 8 to nothing. Starter Billy Buckner uh, goes, um, <clears throat> he goes about five innings, gives up two runs, no big deal. But then the bullpen comes in and blows up, giving up six runs, including... Back-to-back home runs <laughs> as <laughs> Dan Ugla and, uh, and what was it? it was, I think it was Dan Ugla and uh, Cody Ross. 
Maybe it's Dan Uglin, maybe. And I don't even remember now. I just watched the game like like four hours ago, and I don't five hours ago, whatever. I don't remember. But uh, regardless, they go back to back, and uh, the Diamondbacks uh, give up six runs. The bullpen gives up six more runs. The ERA for the Diamondbacks relievers now is over eight. The 2007 Tampa Bay Devil Rays, they were the Devil Rays back then. The 2007 Tampa Bay Devil Rays have the distinction of having the highest ever ERA in history as a team. It was over six. And um, the Diamondbacks right now are two runs worse. In the National League, by the way, you would expect a slightly higher bullpen ERA in the American League when you're facing a DH. But here... That's the National League. You would expect that that never happened. The 2009 Washington Nationals had a very bad bullpen ERA as well, well over five. But uh, no, the Diamondbacks are on pace to have the worst bullpen ERA in the history of the game. Never in the history of Major League Baseball has a team had a bullpen ERA this high. What that means for you novice baseball fans is the, the Diamondbacks relievers come in and they give up a lot of runs. A lot. There is not, uh, Aaron Heilman is their best pitcher out of the bullpen and his ERA is barely under four. Barely. And if you are a reliever and your ERA is like 3.8 something, that's the very low end of mediocre, if not kind of teetering on the brink of bad. That's like usually your worst guy in the bullpen has that ERA. Not your best guy. And that's why the Diamondbacks are terrible. Uh, one of these days, maybe I'll just talk. I mean, I could just go on about the Diamondbacks. Look, it's an organization that, uh, frankly, is run by amateurs, and uh, you get an amateurish result as, as, you know. The Diamondbacks also have another distinction, and I challenge any baseball fan to come up with this. I have never seen a pitching staff in Major League history, at least in the modern era or in the last, let's just say, in the last 40 years of baseball, okay? Since right around the invention of the DH, or even just before, let's say like since 1970, I don't know of another team, maybe the Angels a few years ago, I don't know of another team that, never, that didn't have a single left-hander, either as a starter or as a reliever. Not a single left-hander out, out of the bullpen or as a starter. The Diamondbacks don't have a single left-handed guy. I think the Angels in 2002 or 2003, something like that, I don't think they had a lefty out of their bullpen, but I, I am pretty sure they had a left-handed starter. But I might be wrong there. But I don't know of any other team ever that didn't have a single left-hander. The Diamondbacks don't have one. This is an organization that has a former agent as one of its managing general partners, um, you know, you have, uh, you have a guy that's never been a, a general manager as your general manager in Josh Burns, and it shows. You have a guy that's never been a manager at, at any level, minors, majors, high school, and A.J. Hinch. That's your, that's your current manager. You fired the former manager of the year, Bob Melvin, so you could bring in a guy that never had any experience. Before Bob Melvin came along, you tried to hire Wally Backman without doing a, a background check on him. That blew up in your face. Whoops. He didn't even make it to his first game. And uh, you, you brought in guys like Russ Ortiz, 
who had one excellent season and then you threw $32 million at Russ Ortiz. You gave Eric Burns a career 260 hitter. You gave him over $10 million a year. You gave him almost top shelf center field, top shelf outfielder money for a guy that was a career 260 hitter that had two nice seasons. He had one season where he stole 50 bases and I think he had like 26 home runs. Like I think he had like 26 homers and 80 some RBIs and 50 stolen bases. So you gave him top shelf money. That was really smart. And now what's he doing? He's literally, and it's not, not a joke, he's literally playing beer league softball now after being cut by the Mariners because he just, he couldn't even get a suicide squeeze down. The guy, I mean, and I mean, I could just go on and on with the bad moves made by this organization. Anything from when they, when they took over, when the new regime took over and they unceremoniously ousted Jerry Colangelo and they uh, changed the uniforms and don't get me wrong. I mean, Sedona red, red is my favorite color and everything, but you can't come in here and preaching tradition and then you eliminate every, almost every trace of the 2001 uh, champion Diamondbacks. And then you change the uniform. And then you come in here and, and you, uh, you do what you did to Luis Gonzalez and Craig Council sort of is the way you did. Even though it had to be done in a sense, but it, was just, it just wasn't done properly. You have your uh, managing general partner at, uh, sort of in a backhanded way insinuating that Luis Gonzalez did steroids. You can't be doing that. Especially when Gonzo was playing for your team at the time. You have another guy that was proven to have done steroids in the past, and yet he's part of, he's your first base coach right now. It's, it's an organization that is run by amateurs, and you're getting an amateurish result. And it's too bad because I, I've... It's not like the Diamondbacks don't have talent. They're everyday lineup. They're position players. Right now in the National League West, the Padres are in first place. But I'll tell you right now, position player by position player, the Diamondbacks have better players than the San Diego Padres. At third base, at short, at second base, definitely. Catcher, definitely. In the outfield, pretty much definitely. First base, I would say the Padres have the advantage there. They have uh, they have Adrian Gonzalez. But Adam LaRoche is no slouch over there. He's okay. He's certainly, you know, it's it's not like uh it's not like uh you've got a a triple A guy over there. But to see the thing is, it's all about it's about managing and it's about bullpen, it's about relievers, and it's about having an organization that has run well. And the Padres even though they have certainly, by and large, they've sucked for the last uh, 10 or 11 years or so. It's still an organization that I would say overall, um, at least in the last few years, has been run in a much better fashion top to bottom than the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that's just fact. That's just the results are right there on the field, Period. Uh, circling back to Hanley Ramirez, what should be done? Well, I mean, look, I admire the uh, the manager for taking a stand. I and and Hanley Ramirez shouldn't play until he apologizes. Period. Make a stand. Probably going to cost the manager his job, I'm sure. But especially if you're paying a whole, a whole bunch of money to Hanley Ramirez and he's just going to sit there on the bench, I understand that that's going to be a problem. There's going to be some major division in the uh, in the organization as a result of that. But you know what? 
It has to be done. It's that simple. All right, it's about that time of the week. Oh boy, get out your barf bag. Pop, pop, pop music. Pop, pop, pop music. It's that part of the show. Every week we take a look at the top 10 songs in the world of pop music. These are the top 10 songs according to official airplay data based on all the top 40 radio stations across the country. Oh, yeah. Here we go. At number 10 this week, it's uh, it's still just barely hanging on on the chart. It's Lady Antebellum, Need You Now. It's a quarter after one. I'm all alone and I need you now. Said I wouldn't call, but I lost all control and I need you now. And I don't know how. Number nine, we actually have back-to-back pretty decent songs on the pop chart for a change. This is kind of amazing. At number nine, it's the script. This is Break Even. I, I really do love this song. Glad it's doing well. We're still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Song with real instruments. Just praying to a God that I don't believe in. No auto-tune or hip-hop. It's pretty cool. Because I got time while she got freedom. Breaks, no, it don't break even. The best days will be some of my worst. She finally made a man that's gonna put her first. While I'm wide awake, she's no trouble sleeping. Cause when her heart breaks, no, it don't break even. Even, no. What am I supposed to do when the best part of me was always? The chart quickly turns south when we look at number eight. Oh, good. I'm so glad that she's back. We lost one of her songs. You know, Lady Gaga fell off the chart last week. Her and Beyonce fell off the chart with um, Telephone, which is really unfortunate. But luckily, she's back with Alejandro. So far, it hasn't gotten stuck in my head like a bunch of other Lady Gaga songs, but that's, who knows, that is bound to change at just about any time. 
All right, number seven, uh, new to the to the chart. This is this would be Usher featuring Will I Am with OMG. Oh my God. from Usher in a while and I'm kind of glad we hadn't and now here we have oh boy alright fine uh, that's that's more than enough of that number six it's Jason Derulo in my head here he says his name Jason Derulo see that just so you know who it is I can just be a shouter in the background. No, no, I got a better solution for you, girl. Just leave with me now, say the word, and we'll go. I'll be your teacher, I'll show you the road. You'll see the side of love you never know. I can see it going down, going down. Meanwhile, at number five, an artist that has hit number one on the AC chart, the hot AC chart, and uh, all over the place. Not quite on, not quite on the pop chart, but uh, here it is: Train, Hey Soul Sister. I was looking over at the IRC channel while I was recording the podcast. That's always, it's always a bad, it was always a bad move when I was doing it live and. My heart is bound to be right out my You know, I do have to mention though, I have to mention something that uh, a, a listener pointed out to me that I, I still haven't brought up and I will in a moment, but here we go. But then the pop chart reverts back to its normal poppy uh, self. 
Here we go with uh, Kesha. It's your love is my drug. That's Kesha with a dollar sign. Somebody sent me an instant message last week saying, you know, Kesha's Kesha's all right looking, man. She's hot, dude. That's like probably the same people that think that um, Danica Patrick is hot. It's like, uh, you know, maybe you might want to get yourself some standards. All right, meanwhile, number three, it's Rihanna with Rude Boy, a former number one on the pop chart. And, uh. Just about enough of you. All right, number two, it's B.O.B. Featuring... Featuring nobody. It's, it's featuring... Uh, I'm just going for my... I can't remember who it's featuring. I don't care. It's nothing on you. Never I can't read my laptop screen from all the way over here, so. All right, meanwhile, uh, the number one song in the nation. All right, here's my drum roll. Sorry, I, I wanted to be dramatic. The number one song of the nation. It's this song. Tile Cruise featuring Luda. Featuring the Casio. They really should be featuring. Your Casio comes complete with 17 unique synthesizer sounds and patterns. Because I got asked this in the email, maybe uh, maybe I'll do this just just like super fast. So somebody said, "Hey, Mike, you know you always go through the pop chart, and the pop chart's always totally lame. But what about a, What about a different chart? Like what about the you know um, the the chart that you know for your former stations format? Somebody asked me about that. Now now I of course programmed a station that was sort of sort of combination of alternative and kind of hot AC that you don't really need to know what the format was. Just all you need to know is the music was. And generally pretty good. Um, 
I'll tell you that uh, the the pod, the chart for that. I'm not even really big onto the chart for that format. It's better than the pop chart, but it's not really that much better. I think I'm looking at it right now, and I see like on that format and the hot AC format, number ten is Nickelback this afternoon. I, I don't even know if I have that song. The Hot AC library, I haven't updated as much as uh, as the other libraries. Let me see if I have that. Like, this is number 10 in Hot AC right now. Here. <laughs> yeah. Colby Calais is at number nine. I let's see. I've heard the song. I actually, I know I have it in the library. I just haven't put it in the system. One Republic, all the right moves is at number eight. Live like we're dying is Chris Allen number seven. This is the hot AC chart. Lifehouse halfway gone's at number six. I, that song's all right. It, it kind of grew on me. And let's see. This is uh, this is the number six song on the Hot AC chart. Halfway gone, halfway gone. I like it. See, number five, Daughtry, Life After You. We have that song. Number four, Adam Lambert, What Do You Want From Me? Number three, Train, Hey Soul Sister. Number two, Lady Antebellum, Need You Now. Number one in Hot AC, what is it? Oh, it's uh, the script with Break Even. So there you go. I mean, there is a lot of crossover because, like, I see that uh, Lady Gaga is on the Hot AC chart down to number 15. Lady Gaga and Beyonce. Let's see what else. Bon Jovi. John Mayer, Theory of a Dead Man. Rob Thomas. Train with If It's Love, Pink. I see uh, Ryan Starr. That's a good song. Angel Taylor, VV Brown, Snow Patrol. B.O.B. is down there on the Hot AC chart, like number 26. So I don't know. There's Even Rihanna's way down at the bottom of that chart. So I have to make mention of this. If we're going to talk about sports meltdowns and, and the like, ah, the city of Boston. Boston, for a while, had a, a unique distinction. Their arch rival, 
The New York Yankees back in 2004, Boston was down three games to none to the Yankees. And really, the Yankees were about seven outs away or eight outs away from uh, winning this series and, uh, and, and going to the World Series in a, in a series sweep back in 2004 and facing the St. Louis Cardinals. But Boston came back to win game four. They won game five, game six, and convincingly won game seven to be the only team in Major League Baseball history to ever come back from being down three games to none to win, this, to win a seven-game series. Now, in hockey, it actually has happened. It's happened two times. Well, the third time that it happened... Third time's a charm, and it happened to the Boston Bruins. Up three games to none on the Philadelphia Flyers, and with that series well in hand, and then in game they they the Flyers came back in game four. They came uh, game five. I believe that was the game they dominated. I have my games confused now. And then game six. Game seven, the Bruins came out and took a 3 nothing lead. Now, I have a little bit of affinity for the Boston Bruins because I was, at one point, the voiceover guy for their podcast, believe it or not. Uh, but um, Boston coughed up the 3 nothing series lead and the three goals to none lead in game seven to blow the series and, uh, and, and have that unique distinction of being on the business end of losing a 3 nothing series lead to really a, a big rival in the Eastern Conference, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, and a team that many said just shouldn't even be there in the first place. Now, what's interesting here is that in the Eastern Conference, you have the number seven and number eight seed Flyers and, uh, and, and Montreal Canadiens uh, going against each other, which just goes to show you that seeding in, in the NHL is random and useless. It doesn't matter where you seed it. If you get into the playoffs, anything is possible. And then in the Western Conference in the NHL, I know if we talk hockey much more than about another 60 seconds, nobody's going to listen to this podcast. But in the Western Conference, you had uh, the, the Sharks and the Blackhawks, the number one and two seeds, get into the, uh, the, the, to the playoffs. So it just shows you, it's just, it's a random, it's, it's, Hockey is so weird. Home ice advantage means nothing, as has been proven time and again. Seeding, for the most part, means nothing in the NHL uh, playoffs. Look, the Capitals were up uh, three games to one on, uh, on Montreal. They still blew it. The number one seed. So, um. The NHL playoffs have been exciting, though. You have to give it that. I guess I'm, I don't know. I don't really know who I'm rooting for. I'll root for non-Canadian teams. I do have a little thing against Canada right now. Hey, look, you know, I take it personally. What can I tell you? Okay, I think, I think I've covered everything I need to get into on, uh, on the show for tonight. We got to um, Hanley Ramirez. We got to the Marlins. We got to the whole mess. BP situation. See, when you listen to this podcast, I think this show is well over two hours now, but I've been recording for well over three. I do take breaks. It's almost 7 p.m. now here. You wonder why we only are are dishing out a couple of podcasts, if that, every week. It's because I think I, I do... 
I do so much radio in one show that I, I just, it's enough. It should be enough to sustain you. I'm literally doing two or three shows worth of shows in one. Which brings me about to this point. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. Should you have any comments, questions, suggestions, anything else you'd like to contribute to the program uh, via email, Mike at KMGX.com. That is also our PayPal address. If you want to donate to this fine show, Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger Michael Graff Show is our screen name. You want to send us an instant message on AOL Instant Messenger, of course, always available 24-7, 365. I'm not always sitting right here to answer, but I will eventually get back to you. I respond to all emails and messages, including the death threats. So uh, go ahead and send those on in. Uh, we're also on uh, IRC, EFNet, IRC, Net Radio, the channel. All of our contact information and more available at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. You can always subscribe to our podcast, so whenever we upload one, you'll know about it. Uh, it's up on iTunes. It's up on michaelgroff.com slash podcast slash michaelgroff.xml. Uh, you probably already know that, being that you're listening to the show right now, but if you're the neighbor that's... Uh, that I yell out the window to every night because that's that's the biggest audience I have right now. The sound system pipes throughout the neighborhood so they get to hear this as I'm blasting the clothes music out the monitors. Um, who knows? Whatever. You can go there and check it out. We'll see you Maybe tomorrow for another edition of Michael Groff in exile because I have been in exile for a long time. We'll see you tomorrow.